0: I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Bridget Taylor. And we love to watch... Pete? <clears throat> Pete, this is where you normally say something?
1: Pete? <laughs> I turned 21 in prison Doing life without parole
0: No one could steer me right But mama tried Mama tried Mama tried to raise me better But her pleading I denied That leaves only me to blame cause mama tried that was worth it, Pete. I'm glad we rehearsed. (laughs) (laughs) That felt felt good. (laughs) Felt good. That we did it
1: that way. Hey, Pete. Hey, Bridget. Yo. Uh, is it going to be the whole episode? This, this going to be the whole Slip episode. <laughs> An hour and 45 minutes. The full run time of the movie. Uh, uh, hi, Bridget. Yeah. Hi. hi, Aaron. Hey, guys. Uh, so
0: we're... Uh, look, look, I'm just going to announce who we are. I'm going to announce what our show is. I'm going to let Bridget announce the movie. Before that, if you clicked on this with some level of intention... Not that you're just a lunatic who just plays all in podcast form over days and days and days and listens to all of them. You probably know we're talking about a movie, This the movie. I'm going to let Bridget announce it, why she picked it. But I would just say we don't usually do content warnings on the show because the idea is that if you've seen the movie we're going to talk about, uh, that, that we're going to talk about the movie that, that you're clicking on and if there's content in it. But I would just say if you are not familiar with this movie, uh, I would do a quick – uh, personal, I'm not going to spoil it right here at the onset. We will spoil it as we get through the podcast. I would just do a quick check on the internet if if this is uh, something you want to listen to. yeah, because it's uh, it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, use Google. Use does the dog die? Actually, because they have uh, they have gone to content warning, so you can see this movie and see uh, the warnings ascribed
1: to it and decide. It's a if long you, like, do... list that they of stuff they track now. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's actually it's actually fantastic. Yeah.
2: Um, I also like, um, oh gosh, Common Sense Media actually.
0: Yeah, they do have some, like if you're going to show it to kids.
2: Yeah, and, and their content warnings are actually pretty pretty useful.
0: Yeah, so it's again we don't we don't usually do it. This one especially, and the reason I'm I'm hedging a little bit too is that I also think that we haven't seen the power of this movie comes from, uh, realizing what's occurred. So it's also kind of a movie that is building towards uh, a conclusion. So if you're either a content warnings or B just want to be surprised, I would either go watch the movie or very much don't watch the movie. If this is not the type of movie based on the content warnings for you. So I started there. Let's get back to what we are. We are. We love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick. Normally we pick a theme. Well, we did pick the theme this time, but we pick a theme and we do movies around that theme. And this month, Uh, we're not picking the movies around that theme. We are doing, uh, for Spooktober 2019, Ladies Fright Night Part 2, um, and we are having members of the film group, the adjacent to the Dissolve film group, Ladies Who Dissolve come on the show, pick horror movies directed by women that they want to talk about, and tonight is our guest, uh, Bridget Taylor, who has been on the show a few times? One of our first guests, always a pleasure to have her on, and she has brought us a very funny movie for us to talk about. Uh, with with such comedy legends as John C. Riley and it's the a Larf Riot, Ezra Miller, yeah, that yeah, he Ezra Miller, funny dude, very like funny. just in general, a very funny person. So, Bridget, uh, what did what first introduce yourself, and two. What movie did you bring on this, uh, on this delightful Spooktober evening?
2: Hello, I'm Bridget, I live in Vermont. I like movies and I have a daughter who will probably be 18 by the time this podcast airs, who is in high school. Wow. And so, because I love me a good theme, I chose We Need to Talk About Kevin, directed by Lynn Ramsey,
0: uh, based on the novel. Yeah, uh, and this is, this is a I, I've seen this before. I'd say it's a masterpiece. This is my first watch. And I, I literally cannot wait to hear what you thought about it. But uh, I remember watching it and being, it was one of those movies that I turned off. I said, yep, that is a masterpiece. I'm never going to watch that again. And then lo and behold, six years later, seven years later, whatever it is, uh, Bridget called us up and said, Aaron, we need to talk about, we need to talk about Kevin. And I said, Bridget, OK, <laughs> uh, because uh, we're going to have we're going to have a lot of really bad jokes that are more like three people desperately trying to find comedy uh, and some laughs because this is a very like miserable experience. Um Bridget, we're going to save what you thought of this, seeing the first time you suggested it before you watched it. I had read the book, so I was not unfamiliar with it. Over in Ladies, we had uh, quite a few discussions
2: over different movies, and different people wanted to, you know, made their claim for different movies. And uh, this one, I, you know, it had sort of half been on my list for a long time, so I was like, well, it's time to watch it.
0: Uh, Yeah, and it, I actually, so... For me, I saw this Perks of Being a Wallflower came out the year following this, which I saw first. and uh, really loved that. So, it was like, oh, Ezra Miller. This guy's great as a rambunctious teen in the movie I just He's watched. He's a real sweetheart. So, different, Yeah, different look. He's a rebel with a heart of gold. Heart of gold. Uh, literally, it's made of metal. Uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't beat in this way. Uh, I will say, I'm excited to get more in, in detail. This... Rewatching this movie where I think uh, you're left a little bit confused, wondering what's happening the first time around. Um, I felt like the first time I watched it, I had a very clear idea of what it was. And now, having seen it again, knowing where it's going and being able to pull out a lot of stuff throughout the course of the movie, I'm actually left a lot more like – I don't, like, this could be saying five different things, or all of them, or none of them. It had a clear, concise, like, oh, I see what it's doing. It's, like, it's doing the evil kid horror movie uh, in, like, a very, like, um, non-genre, non-horror excesses, like, Version it's doing like Rosemary's Baby for the two thousands indie crowd, and um, I don't know if I think that anymore. But um, but we'll get into it more. I don't want to. I don't want to miss on the fact that this is our first episode that we're recording in the middle of Spooktober, uh, where Peter and I obsessively watch horror movies. Uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna share what we've watched so far. We f- we're gonna share what we've watched so far um we we kind of shared what we we're excited about uh on our movie list last week but now we're actually in the month and we started our craziness and then uh, we will turn it over to bridget too to tell us how she celebrates the holiday and uh what movie she's looking forward to but first peter you beat me every year what's your number so far
1: this year are you trying to embarrass me right now aaron i am
0: i am because you took a day off of
1: work I t- hold on i took two days off of work oh that's dirty cool <laughs> But I did yeah. last year, too, and you still destroyed me, so. Some of us went to their job this week, so, you know, <laughs> I have just watched two movies. Well, hmm. one per day Just that's two? happened. That's interesting, because it's it's actually October 3rd, Peter. Yeah, I usually watch them at night, so I'll be watching hmm. it after we're done recording this. Interesting. Okay. Um, so, I've watched two. Uh uh, one, I wouldn't even mention if I had more in my list, but it's called Piwacket. It. It's one of those indie uh, ghost story movies. Um, it's not particularly interesting as as a movie. It like sets up to be this like occult cult uh, a cult worshiping weirdo movie and then it, it mostly manipulates just as like uh, there's a demon haunting us and we need to make it go away uh, Kind of thing. There's a few fun twists in the last 15 minutes um, But it's 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 not what I wanted it to be um, and then the other one genuinely it, 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 it invigorated me with horror movie energy and it's called one cut of the dead To say too much about it would be spoiling it, but I have to say that this is, like, a great movie that if you just watched a bunch of bad horror movies in a row or, like, you're not that excited about watching a bunch of horror movies this month or, like, you feel like you've seen kind of everything, this is, like, going to make you excited about the concept of indie horror movies and, like, the production behind it and this, like, band of weirdos getting together to make a movie but also, like, uh, (laughs) movies that are about, like, technical prowess and precision. Um, and it, it's uh, it's it's very funny and it's fun and the characters are, is at first are very flat and then you watch more of it and you're like, oh, I get what you were doing. I should have trusted you from the start. So trust me to trust One Cut of the Dead. Just, just fucking watch it. Uh, the only thing I'll say about it is, is maybe save it for when you need like a, a boost because it made me feel like so excited for the rest of the month. I was like, I could watch anything now. Awesome, uh, and what else did you watch? You know, this this wasn't a competition when I was winning. It was it was just a friendly just a friendly little thing. I was having fun. I was watching as much as I could, but then you take the lead momentarily for two days. Now in fairness, sudden, hold on. I've taken the lead every year.
0: Every year I am the petty person about this, and you're like, it's just for fun. So the only reason you're affected this year and you like register it as a new thing is because you're pretty sure I'm gonna win this year, which has never been the case before. Uh yeah uh the
2: it feels so much like mom and dad are fighting right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the only change from le- the last all the previous years is a substantial one, um, <laughs> which is that you would I have... have to work at your work. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's okay, Aaron. Let's just let's let's not fight. Bridget's here.
0: I only got seven in. Uh, because only
1: seven
0: <laughs> Even though I had two days of – last year, I took two days of work. I got about 12 in. But uh, this year was a little tougher because um, my wife had her tonsils out yesterday. That's oh. 100% true. So, you know, I only got – I got like five in the first day, two in yesterday. Um, so, yeah, a little disappointed in myself. But, you know, we we all try our hardest, and that's what's important. Um, but I started. I really feel with, bad for you that your wife got her tonsils out. I mean, she's doing fine right now. Oh she's yeah, yeah. Sleeping. That's what he says because he wants to watch one movie.
1: Yeah. No, I mean
0: she's just. <laughs> I feel taking, bad for
1: you that that slowed down
0: your process. She's just taking painkillers and sleeping. She doesn't yeah. know anyone else exists.
1: You could yeah, have watched I, half of uh, half of uh, prom night two. Hello, Mary Lou. In the time it took to pick her up from the hospital and dump her on the couch. Hold on. Not only, I'm basically like, yeah, my wife's basically in a medication-induced coma, so I'm watching
0: all these movies, recording podcasts, I might as well be a single dad right now. So, and I still got seven movies
1: in, Peter. What are you doing in your life? Is this like the end of Wanted, where he's like, what the fuck do you do with your life? You're like, I don't know, I don't murder random people because a piece of fabric told me to. Wanted. I haven't said my seven movies. I watched uh, Quiet in,
0: uh, which is actually one that's been on my spooktober list for like Five years and i and I always save it. And then by the time I am ready to watch it, I'm like, ooh, three hours. I could get in two movies because I'm my eyes are crazy with putting my number up and uh, as opposed to watching good movies. Um, so I started with it this year and I absolutely loved it. Uh, yeah, uh, Peter, you did. Sp- I, I, you did spoil one of the one of the segments by saying it's basically Lover's Vow from Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, is a remake. But I actually – as I was watching it, I'm like, I think I know – have I seen this somewhere? So I actually just like knowing it's so close to Lover's Vow or Lover's Vow is so close to uh, The Woman in the Snow uh, that uh, that I, I kind of figured it out. And then I'm like, oh, that's where Peter meant that he, he – that's where he must have mentioned it
1: uh, when we were recording an episode on Lover's Vow. So uh, really good though. I'm not surprised people like it. Very yeah, pretty. it's it's maybe one of the it's maybe the prettiest horror movie I've ever seen. It's like yeah. up there. Um, just the colors. Uh, Saw Tigers Are Not Afraid, which was definitely not
0: what I was expecting. I liked it with some reservations. Um, I'm not head over heels, unfortunately, on it. Uh, a movie that I was head over heels for was a 1959 movie called The World, The Flesh and the Devil, which starring uh, Harry Belafonte. Cool. Um and It is kind of a uh, so if you've ever heard of or seen the Quiet Earth, uh, the Quiet Earth, that Australian movie where a guy get emerges and everyone's gone. Uh, the, the that is a loose remake of uh, the World, the Flesh, and the Devil. And uh, I was true like it's it's very much a existential horror as opposed to a scary horror. It ends up just being three people that are left on the Earth, and that's it. Uh, with, with potentially some static on the radio. Here's what was truly shocking. Like, it is a movie about... So Harry Bal- Belamonte is a, is a black man. Uh, the the first person he meets is a uh, white woman. In- Inger Stevens. Uh, but anyways. So, for, well, first at first she doesn't really fall for him. Uh, but it, it's, like, very much about, like, uh, the ingrained racism in society. And how, like, hey, even with the world gone... Um uh Harry Belafonte literally is like, Hey, if the world was here, you wouldn't even talk to me and uh because I'm black and you would if you would like he's like, Here's all the names that you would call me. Uh so now you expect me to to return your love when you would have treated me like dirt. Uh and she's like, Well, but it's fine, the world's gone now and he's like, No, nope, not fine with me. Uh and it's like it's like that and This is like a Warner Brothers studio picture from like nineteen fifty eight, like pre-civil rights era um it's it's really like kind of insane in its uh progressive politics not like insane that people didn't have those conversations at the time but that it was like released by a major studio uh at a time when like harry belafonte was the biggest thing in the world like he had an album that was on the top 100 or billboard top 100 for like 37 weeks number one (laughs) Um, now it is pre-beatles but still like he was huge. And so just kind of, um, and like the movie's been, it seems like almost completely forgotten. It's one of those ones you have to order special from Warner Brothers Archive. Uh, but, anyways, really, really good.
1: I watched the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> it seems like you have a good mix right now. You have like 80s Gloop, you've got like respectable 1960s stuff, and then you've got. Uh... Sha-la-la, yeah. Yeah. I kind of liked it. It was – I don't know
0: if um, it had a level of like ineptitude that made everything super eerie and creepy or like a cleanliness, I guess. It's not ineptitude. It's just whatever style they were going for, I feel like they nailed. Um, it feels like a, an interest. like someone bought the rights to the banana splits like the Hanna-Barbera thing. It was like, great. I have the rights. I'm going to make a horror movie where they kill everyone. <laughs> In the audience, so so super weird, but uh, like I don't know, it's like a three star movie, but it's it's odd enough to be compelling. I saw one Peter that I know you've been itching for me to see, My Bloody Valentine, the original. Yes,
1: I saw the remake last year and actually liked it, and I like this one even more. It is yeah. a good movie. The, I'm as someone who's generally not into straight ahead slashers, so like, it, but like to me, this like was similar to the Burning, where like. Quality of it was just so high that it it transcends the fact that, like, I'm not actually that fond of the genre. I find the genre usually makes me kind of sleepy. Um, Straight over the plate kind of slashers generally don't work for me. It made me think that we should do a month at some point of, like, good slashers. (laughs) Like, and that's just
0: a concept. We've already done the burning, but like, I'd like to do this and then like April Fool's Day, and I'm sure there's a couple others in there that, like, are, like, legitimately interesting. Uh, maybe that's where we throw Sleepaway Camp in. Because <laughs> we've got to get to it someday. Um, uh, kind of one that I've just been tr- uh, excited to watch for a long time, uh, which is Brian Proge- uh Progeny, uh, which came out in 1998 just uh, after after falling in love with society. Uh, a few years back, uh, I kind of tried to watch all the considered good Usenum movies, and uh, so the last few Spooktobers have been sprinkled with that. However, a little difficult sometimes because uh, a lot of his movies are essentially not available, or if they are, if you can get them, it's from like an out-of-print DVD that's expensive. So I, I, I ordered one, and it came in 100% true. No case, no label. <laughs> in a plastic sleeve with the DVD in it. Um, But that matched my budget for buying a DVD of progeny. Uh, So it's, but it's, it's actually pretty good. Like I'm glad that I was not disappointed. Uh, You know, it's a 1998 Brian used movie. He's not, he's no Stuart Gordon and he definitely didn't have the budget, but uh, as like a alien possession, uh, antichrist, like it's kind of a weird combination between the aliens are bringing about the antichrist and like, uh, or is it just aliens impregnated? Like it's it's kind of weird. Like there's these these glimpses that it actually could be the devil disguised as aliens. Like it's but it's it's interesting enough. It's gory enough. It's uh, it's got a lot of those great like Brian now where everyone's like paranoid against someone else on the screen, <laughs> like the dentist or society or stuff like that. So yeah. Worth worth waiting all those years to finally get around to see it. So and yeah, now that sorry. you
1: bought a random ass DVD of it, it means it's going to show up on Shutter like tomorrow, right? Yep, in That's... in in beautiful
0: remastered HD. <laughs> Unlike this one that came from uh, the Millennium series, which I guess is a, a late '90s straight to video boutique that didn't last. Uh, anyways. Yeah, sorry that took so long, but I did watch seven movies in a couple days. A lot to talk about. Bridget, what have you already watched? What are you looking forward to watching? What's your spooktober watching plan?
2: I have mostly just watched We Need to Talk About Kevin. I've been watching a lot of TV before then. And kind of working my way through, like, the
0: first season
2: of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for reasons I still don't quite understand myself. Spooky! I mean, there is the whole Tahiti thing. That that gets creepy at times. But uh, normally my my spooktober plan is kind of 50-50 between whatever weird has shown up lately on Netflix that someone says I should be watching, or that just looks appealing when Netflix randomly shows me something with a just ridiculously bad promo copy. You know, like I don't know who writes Netflix descriptions, but there's a <laughs> special place for those people. I'm not sure they even deserve hell, honestly. Uh, but, you know, same
0: guy that writes the voodoo offers for you. They're
2: so bad anyway. um, So, so it's kind of about 50, 50, whatever Netflix or who seems to show appealing to me or the you know two dozen things there are horror movies I have on my queue that I go oh I'll watch this someday and uh, whatever TCM wants to show that I managed to catch slash DVR.
0: Yeah, I love uh, this is definitely the time of the year I don't this is the, the first Spooktober in a long time I don't have TCM and uh, I would always look forward to like oh yeah they're gonna they're definitely gonna do a day of Val Luton movies and I'm gonna DVR a couple and watch them. Uh, yeah, as we are running short on time the clock is telling us that guys it sounds like we need to talk about Kevin like right now
1: yeah it's Kevin o'clock it's Kevin, Kevin o'clock Kevin is a place on earth <laughs> ooh baby you know what that's where I'm afraid I
0: do uh, all right. uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Kevin uh, we'll see you on the other side of whatever sad music plays <laughs> you
2: think I'm psycho don't you
0: mama You better
2: let 'em lock me up. You know the little girl next door, Mama. I think her name is Betty Clark. Oh, don't tell me that she's dead. Mama, why I just seen her in the park. She was sitting on a bench, mama, thinking up a game to play.
0: Seems I was holding a wrench. You are, mama. Alternate taglines. Why don't you think of a funny tagline <laughs> just for this movie? Make us all giggle. Get us started on the right foot. Yeah.
1: Uh <laughs> Look,
0: you're already giggling, thinking oh, come about the movie. On. Giggling, Even I about can do people. this.
1: Make them laugh. Make them laugh. Uh, honey, did you leave the sprinklers on? Ooh. Sorry. See,
2: I was thinking more shot through the heart and you're to blame. <laughs>
1: That's a good one.
0: <laughs> uh, you give parental love a bad name. Um,
1: guys, I just don't see the point in doing this. Oh, the people in the movie know that now, Peter. (laughs) Maybe Kevin Uh, was just trying to get people to look at the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that. But let's – I'll go through a quick plot
0: recap. So uh, the movie starts out uh, and you don't quite know what's going on. Um, It took me a little bit to figure out that it's kind of flashing between – an incident well it's clear that there's some incident but i wasn't clear where that took place in time from the other portions of this movie because you get a lot of these shots of like people being wheeled out of a house on stretchers interspersed with like tilda swinton um you know looking stressed in like this kind of abandoned house and getting out of bed and uh, going to find work, and like people have written terrible things on her car, and then you're kind of flashing back to um, uh, these other these other like little moments, and then finally, like you see her go to a jail with Ezra Miller in a jumpsuit, and they're not talking to each other; they're just sitting across from each other. Uh, and I think the part that really does a good misdirect here is she, in her new life. She's she gets a gets a job at a travel agency, and this is the first like 15, 20 minutes. And the person's like, I don't care what you've been, as long as you can type, you're fine. And then she listens to a phone message from John C. Riley. And that phone message is like, I'm not gonna come home for a while. I'm with our daughter, and these kind of things. And that message stayed with me the first time I saw it throughout the rest of the movie because a little we're just I'm gonna get to spoilers now. What you don't realize is that isn't a message that was left recently. That is the last message that her husband ever left her. But even as we kind of got into the, the plot of the movie and you realize there's some tragedy that the movie is working back towards, because of that, I thought that the husband and the daughter were safe. Because here's a message that sounds like someone who's about to get divorced and you probably assume they're sharing custody or something like that. So, anyways, it starts going through the life of, of Tilda Swinton's character and John C. Reilly's. They have a baby. They, they have a tough birth. It kind of shows a scene of, like, what I assume to be, like, postpartum depression where uh, John C. Riley's like, holding the baby and Tilda Swinton just has her head covered in her face. Um, doesn't seem to want to... To hold the baby. Um, and then you just kind of get a lot of like glim- – it g- kind of keeps cutting forward in their life. So, But all these these things that keep happening between Tilda Swinton and her son where she's clearly – she's an author. She's a stay-at-home mom trying to educate her son. The kid just is like screams whenever uh, she holds her. John C. Riley picks up the baby and is like, see, it's not that bad the kid's fine. Like later on, he's not getting potty trained and just like anger poops, throw stuff at her. And Tilda Swinton is like, keeps trying to tell John C. Riley that, um, Hey, there's like, this kid hates me. And he's like, no, it's just a, just a kid. Like there's clearly a lot of, um, uh, as a parent myself, sometimes that kind of like, Oh, are you like really angry at your, our kids? Or are you like there? Is, sometimes that is a tough, uh, stuff thing. So they don't talk about what's going on. They don't talk about the fact. And when she, Tilda Swin does try to talk about it, John C. Riley's like assumes that it's a problem with Tilda Swinton. Um, this kind of culminates in an incident where uh, she gets angry and hurts the kid, kind of throws him in this corner and breaks his arm because he anger pooped at him. And all of a sudden, the kid starts listening to her. And this is kind of recounted also in their jail meetings as well. Uh, you're also seeing her new life that everyone hates her. People keep coming up to her and going, "You, you should be in jail. You're going to rot in hell." All these kind of things. So it eventually culminates. They have another kid. Uh, the, the 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 Kevin has grown up. He uh, not grown up, but he's in high school age, um, and essentially like. Tilda Swinton still has no connection with him. The other kid's just a just a fun little cute, uh, cute kid, um, and seems then pretty there's normal. seems pretty normal, yeah. Uh, well, at least compared to Ezra to Kevin. Um, so there is an incident where um, Tilda Swinton believes that Kevin purposely left out a drain cleaner that results in his sister getting losing sight in one eye.
2: That's sort of one of the one of the one of the the violent escalations, I guess I would say. Yeah. Or the potentially violent escalation.
0: And there is all that, like there is the um, the newspaper room is actually a good one because he like she's like decorating this special room with her collection of stuff and. Maps, sorry, maps. Um, And it's like, these are the things I love and I care about. And then she go – and Kevin's just – the kid that plays young Kevin is really good at just fucking death staring. He's really good. They're like, who's a kid who's definitely going to become a serial killer auditions? And these parents brought their kids who are very angry. Um, But no, amazing. So she goes back in that room the next day and there's paint, perna paint over everything. And she is like – she knows – that this kid did this on purpose, even though it's, like, a four-year-old. It's, like, a five-year-old. And then, of course, John C. Riley's like, hey, I talked to him. He just wanted to – like, yeah, I know it sucks, but, like, he said he just wanted to help you make it more pretty. But, like, you've seen that interaction and, know that's not the case, although I do want to circle back to that. Anyways, so it escalates with him potentially putting his sister in a dangerous situation. Meanwhile um, – He's also taken up archery because of the one time that he had a connection with his mom when he was sick and she read him a book on William Tell, which is a thing that you think is like this great, oh, maybe they're finally bonding. Uh, And he takes away like, I want to have arrows. Uh, He also is buying bike locks and this all culminates with him um, locking up the school gym. And uh, killing an unknown amount of his classmates with uh, bows and arrows, although it is definitely implied to be quite a lot because no one can get out of the room. But you never, you never actually see him shooting people. You see him shooting and hear screaming, but and you see a couple people on stretchers in the aftermath. But I think one, one, one thing the movie does really well is not necessarily exp- like cause like exploitative. Uh, images of uh, high school kids being mowed down by bows and arrows. Like, because this movie is not an exploitation movie. It is very much a serious drama horror movie and yeah,
1: anyway Ramsey is very very careful to not make any of this look glamorous or to fetishize it in the way yeah. um, and, and that's probably the first thing we should touch on when, in well, a moment is, is whether yeah. or not this is a you know why we decided to cover this as a horror movie but yeah well because on. Bridget said we had to she um. said you need to talk about Kevin Um, let's,
0: let's stay with the program. <laughs> So anyways, uh, so the the big like the, the moment that really took my breath away the first time I saw this uh, and why I called out that message is so uh, she runs to the school. She sees everyone being uh, hauled out. She's worried about her son. Then her son comes out, puts his hand on his arms. She sees all the carnage and realizes my son did this.
2: She sees the bike locks.
0: Oh, the bike lock. And she realizes what's going on. Yep. The gym door is
2: is locked. And she looks and she sees these bike locks. And, and Kevin had bought them on you know eBay or whatever. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to resell them. But they're very distinctive, which, you know, and Lumerant R- is very smart in doing this. She looks and we all see those yellow bike locks. So she yep. already knows before he comes out that it's him.
0: But she runs there thinking he might be hurt, and then the bike lock is away. I actually let's pause on that bike lock moment. He orders the bike lock, and John C. Riley's like, "Why'd you do that?" And he goes, "Oh, uh, they got him for a deal. I'm going to make a steal on him when I sell him to kids." And John C. Riley goes, you're just like a little Donald Trump, aren't you? As like a
1: compliment. And I got to tell you, that's even more prophetic than it was in 2011. I watched it with my wife and uh, she – I just was like, oh, this is a movie we should watch together. Um, I think you'd like it. And she uh, didn't know what year the movie was from. Like she didn't realize it was like yeah. seven years old. Um and uh she looked at me and she was like Ugh. and I was like, No no, no. this was like back a little, when he was little just
2: heavy like a joke. Headed, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is back when she was this was just a joke. Like he was just like a dude on the apprentice. Yeah, and it was just like that was like an entrepreneur. Like yeah. it was
0: like even pre I think it was pre uh show me your passport, Donald Trump. Anyway. Uh I mean he still was a tool, but anyways. Uh so the the real gut punch is she goes home after they haul off Kevin to jail. She walks into her backyard where the sprinklers are going. She's trying to call her husband. And there she sees her husband and her daughter in the backyard, dead with arrows through them. Uh, and that's the part that took my – like I – again, the whole movie, that genius placing of that phone call in the last message made me think they must be fine. Because once I realized that was present day and um, and, and she was listening to that voicemail – that it that they were going to be okay so it literally like knocked the wind out of me in the way that i can't think of any movies that like did uh and and yeah then you realize and then she goes to see him in prison you have a full vision of what's been happening why she is kind of like isolated uh in this way that you know people think uh how could your kid do that how much you have raised him and she goes and asks him, like, why did – it's been two years. Why did you do it? And he just says, you know, at one point I thought I knew. Now I'm not so sure. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, and so, yeah, my my first reading of the movie was that, oh, it is – in the same way that, like, uh, You Were Never Really Here is, like, uh, Lynn Ramsey's uh, Death Wish in the fact that it's, like, taking these genre tropes and making it into, like, a – without any of the exploitation, without any of the fun, without any of the gore, without any of, like, the violent – like, and just is, like, making these genre movies in this, like, very, uh like, removed way. It's like the Kill the Moonlight. Uh, let's take out as much instruments as we can and see what we have left. And – um, and I thought it was that of the devil child horror genre. Um, so that's, and I'm like, it's brilliant. It's a f- definitely effective. Uh, I now have like five other interpretations that I'm unclear of if, it, if they could be it or if it was ever that to begin with. But before we do that, let's get into, uh, your guys has just initial thoughts seeing the movie. Peter, you've seen this before. Bridget, it was your first time. What'd you guys overall think of this?
2: it was hard to watch this when you'd read the book. I I, I feel like I might want to rewatch it because I'm not sure I gave it a fair shake. Um, because some of what I found really horrifying for one better way of looking at in the book was, was much less emphasized, at least to me in the movie. And, and I think from, from the description you just gave, I, I feel like my instincts were pretty dead on. Um, because the the real horror of the the, the book is is half you're the parent of a monster but the other half is well what if i did this and the structure of the uh book i can't remember if it's all epistolary uh but she's writing letters to the husband
0: interesting
2: you start getting this sick feeling that the wool's that the rug's being pulled out underneath you as you get closer and closer to the the moment, and it's kind of similarly structured where you realize that the husband and the daughter didn't make it. But she also keeps wondering, is it because I didn't bond with him all at the beginning? Did I see this in him? And and Cassandra like, have nobody, you know, listened to me, or was it that I was
0: also responsible in creating? Peter, what, what what did you overall, like, take of the movie? And then I really want to dig into that.
1: Um I saw it maybe three years ago. I avoided it back when it first came out because the title and the post. You didn't party. feel like you needed to talk about Kevin. Uh, at the time, I felt like we said all we needed to say about Kevin. I can um, hear about Kevin. Yeah, I need to participate. Yeah, you know... Kevin is Kevin and you know talking about it's not going to change who he is you know it's true Um, but when I first uh, when the movie came out from the marketing and from the title and the fact that I was unfamiliar with Lynn Ramsey because Lynn Ramsey had mostly just made uh, smaller Scottish movies Um, and uh, it just looks like Oscar bait to me I was just like oh it's a movie about sad Tilda Swinton being so sad about something and she's just sad. Um, and then two or three years ago, I got more acquainted with Led Ramsey uh, through interviews. And people talked about sort of the way she approaches storytelling and the way her, her she approaches editing. And it's uh, I, I started to get curious. And I watched the movie. I fell in love with the movie. I fell in love with her. She's just uh, she's a, a fucking force. And um, I... Uh, I, I saw the movie and at the time I reacted to it similarly uh, as the, this sort of a smart reaction to genre tropes. So similar to Under the Skin, uh, similar to even her other film, uh, her other recent movie, uh, You Were Never Really Here. And also a movie that we'll talk about uh, in a couple months, uh, Burning, the Korean movie, Um and uh, how they are sort of existing as a reaction to genre movies. They're not quite separate from the genre, but they're um, they're they're sort of dealing in abstraction of the genre's typical tropes. Like Under the Skin doesn't spend time, um, you know, uh, with uh, Scarlett Johansson sexily seducing these guys in like uh, you know long lingering or like reporting shots of her to the body. mothership. Yeah, it doesn't get into that stuff. It's more about her sort of emotional journey being used as this object for a a higher force. And then, you know, this movie, uh, I saw it as like a reaction to our fetishization of serial killer culture and how we tend to forget the victims or the victims tend to become just a count, which is why I love so many of the non-decisions. She Well, I guess it is a decision, but so many of the the, what would seem to be a non-decision from an outside perspective where it's like, how many people did Kevin kill? Doesn't matter. Uh, what? Oh, what are the? You know, how long did he train with the bow and arrow? Like, did he do any special? You know, tracking training to make sure he could do this doesn't matter. Like, we just get like flashes of how he was able to accomplish. Why did anyone try to stop him? He just had a bow and arrow. Doesn't d- yeah, d- doesn't matter. Um, it it really just doesn't matter. It's it's all the the point of it is that he did something horrifying. The fact that this this specific tool was given to him by his parents is is. Significant, yada yada. Um, when I watched it this time, I got all of that, but I also um, saw it as within the context of a horror movie um, because uh, d- that's the context we're watching in for this month. It's women directors who directed horror movies, and uh, the context of a horror movie, uh, and with the con, with my further understanding of Lynn Ramsey as a filmmaker, I'm seeing it as the monster in the movie is not not just Kevin. But the monster of the movie is the concept of memory. And how memory is the thing haunting her as much as you know uh, if the ghosts of her her son's victims were haunting her from every house she moved to it doesn't matter The the ghosts through that blood or you know the paint on the house uh, the the ghosts are ruining her life at work and making her paranoid like no it's 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 her memories it's just as dangerous just as vile and at the end of the movie there's sort of a button on that which is that kevin's memory is starting to betray him he had this this that he had decided his fate in his head using his own strange rationale but now his memory is failing him he can't even remember he can't even uh, the the feelings you have in the past uh, echo yes But um, your memory can betray you just the way it betray anyone else just because you made a rational decision, uh, you know, or, you know, your version of rational uh, three years ago or five years ago when you made this horrifying decision. Um, Now you're being haunted by your memory. So that's what I took away from from it this time around. So I that's so interesting you mentioned memory, because even though I didn't necessarily think of it
0: from that perspective, I do. I do see it and I'm not. I'm not quite clear, again, the movie could be all of these things, it could be none of these things, I'm not trying to really, and again, not having read the book, which sounds like it's very specifically
1: about, like, uh, the dichotomy between those two things, but... Oh, and also, to jump in really quickly, that's what I love about movies, is that movies are not fucking a... a well, not, yeah. A, they're not a Rubik's Cube. It's not like, oh, I, I moved the piece in the right direction, we figured no, this no, movie no. out. Like, that's what... Movies are fun. They're enigmatic.
0: You know, the first time you watch the movie, like, the kid is,
1: like... Seemingly,
0: with no provocation, I say seemingly because they just didn't remember it the first time. Is like came out of the womb wanting to hurt his mom, and like, like, and which is like, like some devil, like Antichrist. Like, I, I'm, I'm Rosemary's baby. Like, you gave birth to the devil. The devil just wants to hurt his mom. This time, I and again, it's not like it wasn't there the first time. I do, I do notice that every memory we get is, for the most part not positive right like it is it is uh you know a lot of times like the mom having um being being abusive or not understanding or like like it's not like devil child or not the fact that you're you threw your five-year-old uh kid into a, a wall broke his arm and then lied to your husband about it like uh, and then that kid is using that to blackmail you, which I guess is just going to go on for the rest of your life. Like, objectively, it's not great.
2: There, that's one of the scenes they directly comment in the prison scenes. Yeah. Where he
0: says, The only time you were honest. It's the
2: only time you were honest. One of the undercurrents in the book that I do think she brings out, and it's very subtle in the movie, but is that they kind of get each other more than other
0: people do. yeah. They even look like each they other. They look like right? each other.
2: I mean, that casting—that was that was the the second piece of this was the casting. I, I
0: didn't even see that the first time, and like
2: they both have that not quite of this earth thing going on,
0: almost like androgynous.
2: It's androgynous, and it's 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 like I said, it's almost
1: grandfather David Bowie. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then John C. Riley is so every man in so his normal. affect, yeah. in his delivery, in his personality. um... And, and then to have him being the everyman as the dad in, in the movie was really effective. And the daughter is, again, just like normal, cute Every kid daughter, from Central yeah. Casting. Almost yeah. like if, if I had Painful criticism, awesome. she's almost a little too <laughs> perfect. But of course, yeah. these are, you know, these are, like you
1: said, her memories. Um, and so, of course, <laughs> she wasn't the demon child. Of course, she was perfect. Um, she's well, she's like that who gets brought into a sitcom uh, around like season, season six, six when yeah. uh, the kid, the cute kid has grown up,
0: which is exactly what happens to this couple where they brought, brought, her, brought her in in season six. Uh, but so to get back to that, though, it also made me realize like, so this movie is from her perspective, like these memories are very much from her perspective. So I don't know if and I guess, again, you could look at it either way. I don't know if what we're seeing is just so justification from her perspective on why she was cruel or cold or un-, un not understanding to her kid that it had nothing to do with me and my parenting but this was a devil child who was out to get me from the start what else could I do when I was being attacked in this way so I could see shades of that where it was like her as an unreliable neighbor, uh, unreliable narrator, justifying the way that she was to this kid, and or it's that thing where the uh, you are only remembering the worst moments of your relationship, where where it is like I have so much guilt, so much pain for the fact that my kid inflicted so much pain on other people, myself, the people I cared about, that like my memories of these moments, that's what I think about over and over. I don't I don't think about the the couple times the the times that were happy. And maybe there were happy times. And that's just not what we get to see. We only get to see the the worst moments in their childhood and their relationship. And the only happy moment of them bonding that she remembers is the one that I'm sure she blames herself. If I hadn't read him that book.
1: Uh, So, so I mean, mean, that makes sense because regret is not a, uh, a, a good actor. Um, Regret is not going to play fair and by the rules. Regret is acting as like a lawyer It's saying like, you should feel bad. Here is all the evidence stacked on that.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah. Is it, is it her trying to let herself off the hook? Or is it her indicting herself more than is deserved? Because I know – I knew this was like the theme the first time. But the other really part that this – I think I didn't I didn't leave the movie thinking about as much as I did this time, which is like this is very, very much a movie about like uh, – as tough as it is sometimes to talk about like the people whose kids inflict – violence at schools and other places like those people have families too and what is it like for those parents to run to school hoping their kids okay only to find out that their kid is the reason for the pain like that is something that like like you you never you never really hear about the families of these these horrible murderers unless it's to you know rightly in a lot of cases like hey maybe so-and-so's mom should have left her guns out all the time or hey they were never home like you do hear about that or you just never hear about them at all except for and understandably so i think in some ways but obviously if you're part of that small community um People know that person and, like, what's – what is that like to have your kid inflict that level of violence and now, like, they're caught. They're in jail. Like, they're still your kid. Like, what do you – so, I I think it is about that, which, again, I don't think there's any movie or possibly book from the perspective of the parent of a violent teenage serial killer.
2: What, what are the parents of one of the Columbine kids? And I can't remember which um, Harris or people has done some writing starting many years after Columbine.
0: Um, that's been very. Yeah, that almost feels like I don't know if I would want to read a real version of that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was, like- it was rough.
1: I feel it's like talk- the slapped in the face, the thing where that woman throws like a fist slap at her. Like, it's very, it's very, cl- like, it's actually very realistic because it's like, if I had to throw a punch, it probably would be kind of a fist slap. It <laughs> yeah. Be, yeah. It wouldn't be like a full on. Especially like, when it's fucking, just out of like uncontrollable anger. Yeah. It wouldn't be like a Sylvester Stallone, like, got her. Um, it would, it would be, you know, probably pretty, uh pretty ugly. Uh, I feel like that has to be pulled from some sort of real case of a real. I'm sure like I think that's why I'd have trouble reading that book like
0: when you're reading about someone who like is the parent of a child unfairly or fairly how do you read that with like a I I really want to get to know how this made you feel and not because it's like I'm a parent like not because it's their fault or not their fault or something like that but it's like I I'm just not like. There's going to be moments in that book where you're going to feel terrible and there's going to be moments that probably sound like justification, whether they're not justification of like uh, being exculpatory to him. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, again, like that's why I think it's tough because it is it is something that is so – like it, it's easy – not easy, but like it's um, – like, for the parents and the family of the victims, it's very easy to hear their story and feel empathy because everyone can imagine or has been through a tragedy where someone they cared about was taken away suddenly and what that would do. So, it just is – it's – so, like, just from, like, a topic standpoint, it, this movie is so tricky. And I think that's why it has, like, watching it with without the kind of gut punch – and I, I'll say, I spent – two hours or however long this movie is trying to steal myself for the moment that she opens that backyard door and it didn't work. Like I, (laughs) like I forgot how fucking disturbing the shot of John C. Riley is with the arrows through his face. And I've spent so long with John C. Riley is like, yeah, this like, you know, he's like, he's trying his best. Like he's not one thing I actually appreciate. Like, even though there's a clear rift between his um his wife and his kid like he never like walks in and yells at any of them he's just like he's trying to listen to both of them
2: and, and sometimes too hard when when it might be easier for him to have just said no but he's got to try yeah. to see both of them in the best possible light and again that's one of those things especially in the book where where you're you're trying to find that fine line between justification and just kind of wanting to shake john c Riley and go are you kidding me and
1: and i think that's the thing is his fatal mistake is not really what he what he does because he actually sees very little of it um his fatal mistake is not trusting his wife
2: he chooses not to see some of it to a certain extent like one of the reasons i i suspect ramsey picked this and one of the reasons um it's an interesting book is it's it's very much about a woman who is not great with what you're supposed to be as a wife and mother. Yeah, She's a travel writer. She loves to travel. She did not take naturally to parenting like a duck to water. Um, yeah. It was a lot harder on her than it was on him. And like in, in a just and more feasible world, she would have been the one out working and he would have been the one stuck for you know eight hours a day with this adorable sociopath and it might have worked out a lot better
1: I think Kevin might have adjusted the power structures at that point but also like it felt like she like they definitely had
0: money and she her book seemed to be doing good like it felt like she wanted to stay home with him I think she was expecting to, to stay
2: home because if you can afford to, why don't you stay home with your kid? I mean, if I had a nickel for every time okay. I have heard that, hey, nickel, I could afford to stay home with my kid.
1: <laughs> he was the one that brought him to the suburbs. Like, maybe his job, yeah. he could he could bring her out to the suburbs, but her job, like, it was just not an option. So, like, yet again, he made a decision about the house, which actually hemmed in their economic options.
2: And, and they're... Possibly. they're
1: just- I just wasn't sure. Like, he's, she seems so
0: committed to to like not just like staying at home with him but like uh you know doing that thing that i think a lot of parents want to do which is like my kid's going to be smart i'm going to nurture yep. them i'm going to nurture them so i i 100% am on board with the reading of like what that that idea of like she's not like what society deems a mother supposed to be and her trying to be that and then how that affects her mental state and how she just like is so stressed trying to be a type of parent that she's just naturally not
2: that flashback early where she's at uh, there was a review that said what the festival was but she's at that festival and she's so happy um and then later when when kevin's a toddler she actually says mommy used to you know mommy used to yeah. do fun things and now i don't because of you
0: yeah, and that's again. That's why, like, it's it's sometimes hard for me to say. And again, I just haven't haven't quite settled, or I don't think there is anything to settle. But like, there is that part where it's like, yeah, how much was she that? Like, that moment is so like painful to yeah. watch. Like, like to to see like at that point, it is just a baby, and she's just like, "Fuck you, you stupid baby, you ruined my life." And it's <laughs> like, it's like, okay, well, maybe there is something here. But again, there's that other part where, since we're seeing it from her perspective, was this is what it was like all the time? In which case, yeah, that probably had an effect on Kevin. Or or B, is she just remembering a moment of weakness where she was overwhelmed and, like, you know, there is a big difference there, right? Like, every parent has moments they're not proud of. Are we only seeing those moments or are we seeing – um, are we seeing what it was like all the time in which case it really changes how much uh how much of the fault of kevin would i put on her like like th- i think that's what's so tricky about it because you don't and i think that's the reflection on real life right like when you hear about the parents of people whose like kids or or anyone like committed violent acts it's not like we're seeing 16 years of parenting we're either seeing – we're seeing glimpses of it and when those glimpses are unflattering, we're like, fuck you. You are part of this – like, you you did X? Well, no wonder or something like that. Like, And so I just don't know if the movie is – is. I feel like the movie is kind of making us um, deal with the uncertainty. Like, are you willing to indict her based on these few moments that you've seen as, uh, that you've seen as some partially responsible or –
2: one of the things that's interesting about this is is that it the movie itself came out not that distant from the newtown connecticut shootings and one of the things that happened in those shootings was that uh the mother had or at least so so the legend went in in a desperate attempt to get her child to do anything kind of pro-social had actually encouraged his interest in guns and so it's kind of Prussian in that way because of course they were kind of desperate to get the son into some sort of social activity. And so, so they got him into archery. I don't remember for sure from the movie. Uh, I mean, for the book, but I'm pretty sure he actually won competitions. Um, and you definitely see even in the movie, them upgrading his bow. Yeah. It's, it's just really interesting to, to, you know, to a certain extent if you have a kid who's got some red flags and uh, he certainly, Kevin certainly had lots of red flags and the new juncture certainly had a lot of red flags. Um, you're trying to connect them to something.
0: It's so good. The way that they are able to present that in the way that we've kind of experienced it in real life, because you're, that's a really good call. Like you heard, like they had these guns and she was in these gun clubs and you go, you say like, why, Of course, which is, you know, it it, in a lot of ways like that is reductive because there's even though like I wouldn't let my kid have a gun club or go to a gun club because I'm not a big fan of guns. Uh, There's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids in gun clubs and they don't. In the archery thing, too, it is like, well, this is the thing he finally showed interest in.
2: Plus, it's a bow and arrow. What can you do with a bow bow and arrow? arrow?
0: There was a momentary bond with. With his mom. So, like, yeah, I I almost feel bad about how much I, like, took this – not as a – I thought it was somewhat of a one-note movie. It was a very good note. I gave it five stars. Like, I thought, like, oh, yep, pared-down horror movie. But, man, there is so much more going on in this than I – there's so much. And, like, in such a way that's, like, difficult to process and difficult to talk about because, it again – we're being presented with snippets and then you're being forced as an audience member to try to put those snippets into a, a cogent thought. Like you, you want to play detective. You want to go, why would he do this? Or why, how could she have stopped him from doing
1: it? his resolve to this, his resolve to this thing that he rationalized years ago is starting to deteriorate. And you can see at the very end of the movie, like, this is a whole new look for Kevin because up until this point, yes, very much the Omen or the Bad Seed or you know other serial killer movies where we get a glimpse of you know the kid as a, the, the the serial killer as a kid, you know maybe torturing animals or whatever. We get to see him sort of broken and scared and not in a way where he's like I. It's it's a it, you can't quite. He get doesn't a cry read on it. Yeah, he's not yeah. crying it, but he's like. I'm probably going to be horribly mutilated or murdered, or just a, like things are going to get much worse for me, uh, very, very soon. And and just in like a self preservation sense, he's scared, which is something we haven't seen in him in a long time. Yeah,
0: or ever.
2: He has destroyed his own best champion.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's Ezra Miller is so good in this movie, but also all the little kids leading up to. Uh, yeah, you know, really adults, good. so to speak. Kevin is, is so, so fantastic. They all, uh, the, also the casting in this movie. We already talked about how great it is. The casting on the little kids is fucking Amazing. insane. The best, best kid casting.
0: I mean, I guess it's good. Like you don't have to say words. You just need to stare.
1: And but the be, like 6-year-old Kevin has a lot of performance scenes. Oh, that's true, yeah. Like especially him coming home from the doctor and telling his dad that like explaining his lie that he came up with on his own. <gasps> yeah, that is so chilling. Like, like she's
2: she's waiting to get sent to CPS and then she's waiting for him to knock out on, on to the father and he doesn't.
0: I would I was just going to say I would say that
1: like I get that these these are child actors acting in the movie but someone should still check up on them once in a while. <laughs> When, when he said uh, the mom is, uh, Tilda Swinton is telling him, uh, Ava is telling him uh, that he's going to have a little sister and he's kind of protesting it. She's like, well, you like it. And he's like, um, what if I don't like it? And she's like, well, you'll get used to it just because. And then he says, just because you're used to something doesn't mean you like it. You're used to me, which yeah. is so, so brutal as a moment of their relationship, because she is having this conversation with a six or eight year old. Who is yeah. basically like seen through the bullshit and has been like, I'm no illusions. Like, it's clear you don't like me. It's clear that we have some sort of antagonistic relationship. And he even manages to sound sadistic at the beginning of the sentence and kind of heartbroken at the end of the sentence. And yeah. that, that is a. terrific child performance reading. Like, how the fuck did that kid pull that off? Where I mean, it might have been just the kid getting sad thinking about talking to his mom that way, (laughs) but it's still, like, he gets full credit for it. That's crazy. I I think, like,
0: later on when Ezra Miller is like Ezra Miller, you feel like he has a lot more agency to be a dick or mean and stuff like that. Like, And and also, because it's Ezra Miller, he can't help but sometimes be like feel human at moments. Like, there's that great part where they go on a a, a mother-son date. She decides we're going to be friends and spend time together. And she seems out in public like the disturbed one. He doesn't. Like, she is trying to play mini-golf while, like, criticizing everyone to the point that, like, that, that line reading when Ezra Miller goes... Well, mom, you can be kind of harsh sometimes. It's so good because it's like at that moment, he just feels like a 15-year-old who's like, my mom's got problems. Like you, So for a second, you almost feel – you forget what movie you're in where he's – like, we need to talk about Kevin, not we need to talk about Tilda Swinton.
1: Yeah, he's like, and I think all people are sheep, but I mean, I don't make fun of – Sheet for but I'm
2: not fat. a fat shamer mom
1: <laughs> Kevin drew a line in the sand but
0: there's there but but going back I think that's why like and maybe some of this just comes from being a parent of young kids right now like you do go through this thing of like even like thinking back of the things your parents said to me to, to, to me at that age and be like oh that was kind of shitty like, I wouldn't say – I wouldn't say that to my – like, uh, one I've, I've talked to my mom about before where it's like – where she would say, like, I hope someday you have a kid just like you as, like, a punishment when she was angry at me at, like, five or six. And it was like, oh, you were saying to me that, like, I hope you are saddled with this punish- same punishment that I've been saddled with. Like, that's kind of a mean thing to say to a five or six-year-old. Like, I don't – I'm five. I'm six. Like, I don't have, I don't have that level of, like, agency or control over my life yet. Like, I'm looking to you for guidance and stuff like that. So, like, yeah, that moment where she says, where he's like, you don't, you don't like me. Like, you're used to me to like me. And she just stares at him and is like, yep, you got me there. Like, it's, so it's just hard not to feel like, (laughs) even, again, maybe this wasn't common. It's hard not to feel like in that moment that's like, yeah, like, you're looking at him as some sort of equal, but he's just like a six year old kid right now. like you gotta you gotta you gotta try a little bit harder. but again, even me thinking that in the moment opens up the can of worms of again, are we seeing the low lights? Every parent has low lights and I would never judge a parent by the, their worst days. And is that all we're seeing? And then the flip side is that like, am I living up to that idea of like, well this is how you should be a mother? in the way that society is telling her this and that's affecting her so like I feel like I have that thought and then I have three other thoughts that are arguing with that thought about what I actually fucking think like he knows
2: he knows his mom's weird she knows his mom's not comfortable with it and you know what she also knows what happened to the hamster
1: oh yeah Yeah. that scene when they're they're on that date um and she's like truly trying and this is you know maybe aaron this backs up what you were saying earlier that she's trying to come up with it she's trying to assemble all these traumatic she clearly has ptsd and not just from the day that she got the the news that her son was a murderer but from from her uh, life a life a lifetime of seeing her son as a abuser a lifetime of seeing her son as the shatterer of all of her dreams yada yada um Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not being listened to. And there's the the date and Kevin it. you know, it seems like it's going to go fine. And then Kevin calls out every beat of how he imagined this 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 uh, date, this uh, dinner going. And, you know, he might not be 100 percent on the dot, but you can you can tell that, like, he's he's making fun of the idea that she would reach across the aisle and like that they're going to have some sort of moment of connection. And he's like, not just doing what most teens do which is just to like block up and then like have like if the parent still pushes has like a like a lash out at something irrational right just like no mom I don't want fucking lasagna like I you know like whatever it is I'm just thinking about myself as a 15 year old where you're like I, I've been controlling my anger for two hours and then all of a sudden you ask me about lasagna now I'm gonna yell at you about lasagna like th- what you are when you're 15 I've been not masturbating in this house all day you guys are here
0: and now you ask me about fucking lasagna can't take it
1: <laughs> and I had a w- wonderful set of parents like don't get me wrong but like I, I remember being a shitty teenager and this moment I remember being like oh he's not just trying to you know uh, protect his his sovereignty this is him reaching out beyond his castle walls to actively hurt her uh, and making fun of her for being she has a drinking problem and that they'll never connect and all of this all this stuff and like he's like he's he's sort of like admitting that like they'll never have this moment and he and then there's a conversation later where he's basically like He's basically talking like in Joker memes, like the, the the timing of talking about this movie, I think, is going to be pretty it's, it's this, we're talking about this movie like basically the week that the Joker movie comes out. Yeah. By the time this comes out, it will have released after its opening weekend. Yeah. So um, the, the the Joker movie, the, the, the sort of um, without getting into the discourse, because I, I really don't want to make this about that. Let's not, but the Joker movie, the sort of discourse has been, uh, largely centered around like, who are the people that are going to watch this movie and soak up its lessons that like, just if you're someone who feels pushed out by society, uh, you should lash out violently. And this kid is sort of talking in 4chan and he's not talking in memes, mind you, but he's talking in the, the language of incels and, um, you know uh four and these like lonely ass kids who lash out violently and because they they just like don't have constructive they don't have constructive means of sorting out this trauma that they've been through or just like don't have they have shitty worldviews that were passed on to them and then they passed it on through violence and uh the fact when i first watched the movie i was kind of I was laughing at the idea that he would be super into computers and be like uh, into collecting viruses. And now I'm watching it and I'm like, holy shit, like between since I watched this movie last time and when I watched it now, we've had killers post videos on youtube of their manifesto and people posting on forums i'm gonna do this tomorrow like the whole the whole idea of this like online killer was kind of laughable to me three years ago but now like that's become like a language uh of these these um these these like just fucking pitiful children um and it, 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 so that conversation where he's like talking about his worldview of society. There's a few times when Ezra Miller gets to give these like disgusting villain monologues where he's talking about how misanthropic he feels about society. And he's like, so he has the confidence of Joker. Um, that stuff hit so much harder than it did three years ago. The, uh, the the dinner
0: scene is like, yeah, he says a bunch of like really cruel, like. Honesty of like the state of their relationship and why this is bullshit. But on the flip side, if someone in your life, I don't care if it's a parent or uh, or a friend, sibling, whatever, who like is like, oh, I haven't really tried to show you even my version of love in years. I'm going to give it a little whirl that the other person may not be at that same place that they want to give it a whirl at that moment. And, and look at his bullshit. Like, if you've been, again, through whatever reason, um, decided that this relationship is not worth maintaining in any sort of, like, communicative or stuff fashion, um, you know, I, I don't know why you would expect him to, at that moment anyways, react any differently. And one thing I actually think is really interesting is that that scene of them really – really bookends with the ending of this movie right like one of the interesting readings of this movie and there's actually like a i read a review by um this jesuit priest who loved this movie and saw it as a thing about like like it's never too late to mend your relationships like that like familial relationships are in some ways forever and i know that's not actually true there's many reasons to cut people out of your life but like like at the end of the day they were very much alike they do well well they do bear equal responsibility for the breakdown of their relationship i would say regardless uh, or maybe she actually owns more of it yet she's she keeps coming right like she keeps coming to the point where she has adjusted her work schedule so she can see him so it's like she maybe stopped trying at some point and that dinner, that date, that mom-son date was their attempt to – it was her – she deciding maybe I would like to have a relationship with my kid and her kid saying it's too late. Well, now she is going to go every single week or whatever it is and she's going to do it and if he doesn't participate, like that is her she, – she recognizes on some level that that is – that is partially – Right or wrong, her fault. So she's going to keep going and hopefully at some point, uh, like she's just not going to give up trying to mend the relationship on some level or be there in the relationship. It's like if if the implication of, their, of, of Ezra Miller's speech at dinner is that like you haven't tried to be a parent or have a relationship with me for years, fuck you for deciding all of a sudden you're going to take... An interest, this is almost like her response to it. Like, okay, I heard what you had to say. I'm here.
1: Whenever you're ready to meet me part of the way. That's why the ending is so tender to me. And I think I didn't see it as tender the first time. I just saw like, well, yeah, man, you reap what you sow. You murdered a bunch of kids. You should feel bad. Uh, This time I saw it with more tenderness. I think it's because this time I see that at work, she has a miserable job in a dying industry that she is and she's being sexually harassed at work. Like, I don't know if she can stay at that job after that awful Christmas party. Like she might need to go <laughs> somewhere else. Like that's fucking horrifying. Um, she's also working below her ability and knows it like, but she just feels, I think she feels embarrassed being like ambitious out in the world. Unless we, uh, if, do you guys have any other scenes to discuss? Uh, I feel like we have just been talking
0: about the yeah, movie as a whole which kind of really makes like sense. Really like the whole
1: the whole potty training uh thing where cuz it's it's um uh, it's horrifying and not funny because of the way Lynn Ramsey makes it uh where he is he's purposefully shitting his pants because he knows it gets a reaction out of his mother and he knows that and that that leads to the whole you know the um that where she abuses her child um because she's frustrated with him but like they're in this weird détente where like I, I she doesn't She seems to think he's, like, this malicious little demon. But, like, in another sense, like, he's a six-year-old? A five-year-old? Like, I don't... Yeah. Um... But yeah, I that's that's one sequence of the film that I think is really masterfully completed because of the performance of the children. I, I just really love the kids in this movie. Like all the all of the Ezra Miller on town just perform so admirably. And were also you and your, your wife like sister. we have to have kids now? Look, Oh, yeah. This movie is good. good control
0: the film. Like I'm pretty sure like. <laughs> well, here's what's weird, though. Like I watched this movie before I had kids. And my take on this movie was, like, yeah, this is a good movie to remind yourself about birth control. Also, fuck that kid. That kid's an evil monster. And this time watching it, I was a lot more like, yeah, that's such a shitty thing to say to your kid. Like, that's just a little, like, three or four-year-old. Like, why would you do that? Like, I felt – I felt – and maybe this is the wrong way to think about it. I felt less sympathetic for the parents being a parent myself in this movie because I, I just recognize, like, how damn, like, I recognize how small things, from my perspective, I do that aren't, like, great. Like, that momentarily, like, where you're like, Maya, just get your clothes. Like, and it's not even yet. Oh, There's for Christ's sake, you yeah. just do it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, like, it's a moment of frustration where your kid knows you're mad at them. And, like, and how much, like, even in the moment damage that causes and, like, realizing, like, like, even expressing frustration, like, non-verbally, like, a loud sigh affects them.
2: And, and, and so, like, on one level, it's so much more understandable and it's less forgivable, I think. It's kind of kind of both of those things. Yeah. Because you have been there. You have been ready to throw a small person across the room, but you would never throw a small person across the room because that would be throwing a small person across the room.
0: Yeah. And also, like, realizing that, like, even those moments of frustration for at least from my perspective, like require a conversation afterwards. Like, it's like, look, here's why dad got a little frustrated. Like, I understand this is how you were feeling
2: in some ways, tiny Ezra Miller is more empathetic than the average toddler, because at least he realizes that he's fucking up his mom, where a yeah. lot of toddlers, you know, and it's not, like, because they're bad seeds, it's brain development. But a lot of yeah. toddlers think about uh, six inches past their nose, and everything else is either kind of abstract or just lives I to want serve this, right. them.
0: <laughs> Yeah, and, like, and I also just realize how much damage control so that, like, My daughter doesn't um, take in the fact that, like, dad was angry. Maybe I'm – like, all those things – maybe I'm a bad person. Like, the first time when she had to go to bed early for doing something and she goes, do you still love me, was like – was like – she's like two and a half, three. And it was like I almost lost it. I'm like, of like – and so like, never mind, darling, d- stay up till midnight. I love you. Yeah. 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 You can do whatever you want. Of course I love uh but uh yeah, the amount of damage control so that it doesn't have a permanent effect you have to do for the tiniest of showing of negative emotions, like you realize that's a part of your day-to-day. It's why you like spend so much of your day just like I'm gonna like close my eyes inside of myself for a second, and I'm gonna re say my next sentence with a lot of like intentionality of like I am calm, but I do need you to listen. Like – and – exactly. And even that moment is recognizable to a five-year-old that you needed to do that. I realized that if I were to do that to my kid that's the same age, that would be like – like she's going to get in trouble at school. She's going to cry herself to sleep every night. Like you couldn't do that. Like the – and not expect some very significant repercussions. (laughs)
2: And so something you beat yourself up about for six months. I I even said something to her once about, oh yeah, and there was that time that such and such. She's like, what the hell are you talking about, mom? You know, and and you know it's it's like your parenting <laughs> low point. Oh, I don't remember that. What I do remember is some other bullshit you forgot completely about. Had no idea.
0: And then there's the and then there's the moments where like three years ago I took uh, Maya to take your daughter to work day. And she said she was done with her hot dog, so I threw away her hot dog. And she still is she like wasn't three with years her later, hot dog. is like, Oh, you gonna work? We we threw away my hot dog? That I was I needed I wanted to eat that hot dog, Dad. And it's like, oh yep, yeah, that's for the rest of her life. There's gonna be a, Dad life. threw yep. away the hot dog. And I'm like, Don't you remember I got you a new hot dog when you said you decided you weren't done? No, don't remember that. So yeah, like there is a part of me that somehow became like from this kid is a monster. Don't have kids. Kids are the worst to being a lot more, uh, you know, judgmental and, uh, against, uh, Tilda Swinton's character. Just like, just my natural emotional reaction watching it. And then being a lot more sympathetic to Kevin. And again, I think, I think that's part of it. And then also recognizing the framing device to know if like, Oh, is, does this movie want me to judge her? Because, that's that is the reaction, but I'm not looking at it for the big picture. So there are moments where Kevin has clearly snowed him. But there are also moments where it's like, my dude,
2: the child had lie in her eye. Yeah. And there was a teenager in the house. Yeah. Like, come fuck on, son.
0: Yeah, that's that is the moment. I get early on, though, it's like, oh cool. My spouse hates my child and my child hates my spouse. Uh, don't really know how to deal with it. So that. I'm That's, not going to deal with it. I'm not going to deal gonna with it. I'm going to be that.
2: hearty and
0: fun. Yeah, If you want to go shoot that boat out, just come get me. But otherwise, uh, we don't need to deal with that. But so, yeah, I guess these are kind of my final thoughts in that, like, it is amazing how much having children changed my perspective and not the way that I would have thought um, about this movie. But also recognizing that I feel like it has... 10 different things it wants to say and like 10 – it it made me not just feel one way, but then like I've said on this podcast, like feel this way, then react to this way. Like this movie is deeper and has more there that I gave it credit for the first time when I thought it was an amazing movie. Um, And it actually – the first time I watched this movie, I was like, I'm never fucking watching that again. I'd watch this again. I feel like there's more – like I want to peel more because like – I think there's so much more I would get on a third and a fourth and a fifth watch because it does have a lot to say and it has a lot that it wants you to kind of sit on and go, how does this make you feel and why do you feel that way?
2: And I really would recommend both of you if you have the chance to read the book. It it takes some very different approaches in different places and and generally, um, unfortunately, I like the book a little better and I'm not sure how much of that is because I read the book first, but uh, it it, it definitely adds – add some layers there um, because it's a book and it's not, you know, however long the movie is. I mean, you, you cut, you condense, you focus. That's just what adaptation uh, from a novel length to a movie length does. But uh, I, I do kind of want to watch it again because I'm, I'm not sure I gave it a fair shake because I was doing that comparison. The performances, I, I really just can't say enough. We, we talk a lot about Ezra Miller and his kids, but All of them just knock it out of the water. And it's interesting to see how much, despite the fact that John C. Riley and Tilda Swinton do not seem like a particularly likely couple, they really do feel like a family. Uh, There there are some great little, there's only like two or three little scenes between Ezra Miller and the daughter, but they just sort of nail that, Half irritated, half indulgent older brother and small, adoring child dynamic, even, even as Kevin is, is kind of off um, in a way that I thought was really interesting. Um, I think it's really smart casting and really smart directing in that respect
1: this is uh, ladies fright night month and I have to just spend all of my uh, final thoughts talking about how much I love Lynn Ramsey uh, because I, I don't think I spend enough time I don't think I uh, spent enough time talking about it um, let's focus in on the fact of the Halloween anxiety attack when she's trying to get home from work and she's seeing all these kids in masks running around all these children and they're pounding on the windows whether or not that's actually happening or if that's within her or you know her her um, uh, it, it, the reality of it might be kids are knocking on the door being respectful. You know, um, the, uh, the, the the version in her head is far more traumatic. And um, Lynn Ramsey is a truly cinematic director. And What I, I mean by that is that every moment of this film is Directed not just with the visual in mind, but it, it's pulling away from the theatrical. It, it, it's taking advantage of editing as the primary voice of of film. She uses that to guide us along on, and she uses the the concept of montage to guide us along these emotional journeys and takes us th- that that go through time. It laces in and out of time, and when you're watching it, knowing that it's about like. How Tilda Swinton's character Ava is remembering her past. Um, it makes more literal sense, but when you're watching it, it's, it's weirdly watchable for a movie that's as horrifying as it is because she just keeps snapping at new juicy bits of information with her editing because she's chasing these emotional pathways where like, you're curious about something and she's going to dig in for 20 minutes. And like she, there's, there's stuff about her that you could say that like is a little cliche, like she never puts the camera where anybody else would put it. But that's true. Like the way she shoots scenes is just it has a a, a sort of um, uh, abstract quality where she's not trying to capture the literal, uh aspects of what a scene is she's trap. she's uh capturing the formalistic emotional uh aspects of what a scene is and she's very consistent with that um there's establishing shots on occasion like when she's walking into the travel agency or she's pulling up to the school or they're pulling up to their new house but largely um that's just nuts and bolts good editing not her trying to, you know, catch audiences up. That's just like, oh, hey, uh, we're going to have a bunch of scenes now in this new house and we're going to jump around in a 15 year time span or a 10 year time span within that time period. Um, and the, the her her willingness to bend timelines uh, creates this uh, effect that. um. Her memory is a horror monster. Her memory is a ghost or a demon chasing her, and she's trying to find ways to chase off the demon. She's drinking and taking pills. She's trying to get out of the house and work. She's trying to keep her house clean. Like when a, a bunch of um, of uh, locals or you know pissed off parents or whoever throw red paint on her house, she scrubs it off. She doesn't go to the cops. Uh, Someone punches her in the face. She doesn't go to the cops. She just kind of soaks up the bruise and moves on. And she keeps trying ways to try and almost like push away from her past and create a new life. But while also embracing the fact that she is a mother, the mother of Kevin, and that is her last remaining child. And she needs to fulfill something within this relationship. Maybe she thinks that her personal happiness is through him or whatever. And the weird thing is that like, the dialogue doesn't say half of what I'm saying right now, <laughs> but you know, it when you're watching the movie that what I'm saying is right. Yeah. Cause, cause of the performances and the way that the performances are captured, uh, has such a, it has almost like a playful quality because it, it dances between this sort of bland realism, like the shots in the office and this like, um, highly, uh, you know, uh, highly subjective point of view that's clearly like uh painted inside of her mind um it- Lynn Ramsey avoids the obvious in almost every instance because she knows that there's there's something juicier to bite at, and that leaning into cliches is not going to to get us where we need to go. And um, yeah, she's I I started it by saying she's a master. She's a fu- she's a fucking master. And this is a this is a terrifying horror movie that has none of the tropes or cliches of a horror movie. Um, but it acts as a response to our culture's fetishization and. Obsession with serial killers and trying to worrying about body counts and and you know uh, strategy of the killers and their op uh, you know opus operandi like um and and that's why I love this movie is because it pulls away from that to get at some sort of deeper truth that's not that's not in stats that's not in the literalism but yeah that's my final thoughts on the uh, on the movie
0: yeah there's just so much to dig in here I feel like we could probably talk for another two hours, and we've been saying that a lot lately, maybe it's because uh, our guests are picking really good movies. So, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on this show again. Uh, We love having you on. Yeah, uh, well, we'll the next time uh, Bridget, what, in our green room banter, was like, maybe next time a comedy? And come on, talk about a comedy? Did Battle Royale? Did Pump Up the Volume? Something funny would be nice, so... Uh, so, Bridget, what do you have to promote?
2: I suppose I will finally start talking about what I write on the salute from time to time, which is the-salute.com, yeah. um, because my nom de plume is Persia, and I have been pretty careful about that for, for a variety of reasons, and I'm a little less careful about it now for, for another variety of reasons. Um, but um, on October 31st, I will be writing about young Frankenstein—
1: so Ooh, that's awesome. that, is, that is the best horror comedy ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: so you, that's not that, uh, that's that,
1: not about death, it's about So, so
2: Mark yeah. your calendar for, for the the greatest Mel Brooks movie.
1: Yeah, I watch I watch that movie multiple times a year because it's just so comforting to me. Yeah, I I some days I say that's the best Mel Brooks movie. Uh it's definitely less racist
0: than <laughs> Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh
1: discussion for a Another day. Peter, we still got two more of these. We sure do. And next week, we'll be talking about Pet Cemetery, the original, not the remake, with Lydia Lamelli. I'm very excited about that. Uh, Aaron and I are both fans.
0: We are wrapping up the month with the movie Near Dark with Desiree Guzetta. Yeah, that's going to be fun as well. But uh, yeah, very excited for that. And then we're pro- we, we do have a Halloween special this year that's uh, not related to the month, something we've done every year. Uh, very excited. We just confirmed it today. Uh, literally a movie we've been saving for a special time. And uh, our guest is that uh, the only person that we would want to come on to discuss this movie. Uh, and that is Brian Huesna's Society with guest uh, Douglas Lehman. Um
1: It's going to be uh, so fun.
0: It's going to be so fun. So uh, really quick, if you uh, – Douglas has been a guest on the show a few times. He'll actually be on the show again uh, a couple weeks after that episode aired for our Muppet Month in November. But he had never heard of that movie and made a joke on the internet about watching a society. And he was making a joke about the Joker in a Batman movie because of the new Joker movie. And everyone – a couple of people thought he was watching the movie Society and were psyched for Douglas Lehman to watch the movie Society. Since then, not only has he watched it, he wrote a beautiful review, which we'll link to it. He also interviewed the director and it's been three weeks. That's never I happened someone him. told me to watch a movie. I know. He's the best. Uh, but his review was amazing and um, – Uh, there's definitely there was definitely some initial fun of like oh doug talking about society he was on our monster trucks episode but he uh, peter i don't know if you had a chance to read that review yet but incredibly insightful incredibly well written i'm very excited i was already excited i'm even more excited for him to come on and discuss society the best movie of all time (laughs) with uh for our halloween special so uh, without further ado have a good spooky night
2: Never can't fall yet today When my dear mother did really stay Thank
1: you so much for listening to We love to watch.